Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. And my name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It is, in fact, Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. The Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we're talking with Samir Dua. Who's that? Well, he's authored uh, a couple of great books called Become and Declaring Breakdowns. He's also the founder of the Institute for Generative Leadership in, in India. And for the Institute for um, you know, Generative Leadership, it enables leaders, managers, professionals, and coaches to take their leadership impact and the impact of their teams, organizations, and clients to the next level. And one of the things that I... So what you're saying is that this person knows a lot about leadership. Yes. But Good what, to I, know. what I love about his approach and what he talks about in leadership is he, he talks a lot on, um, on really the, the mental side of leadership and preparing that. Yeah, he did. And and self talk and how and how literally how all of those things can can impact your leadership, and and really make you a more effective leader. And I feel like that's something that we've been talking a lot on the podcast because it's it's a leadership thing, but it's also just a life thing as well. Yeah, I think that he put he gave vocabulary and he brought kind of um, the narrative around something that you and I have talked about. A lot, which is, you know, being a leader isn't just um, telling people to do this or do that. Um, there's there's a lot more to it. And I think one of the things that's really underrated is the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. And that's what he really speaks to. And, and that's why I think this was a great uh, look into that. And so I'm really uh, glad that, that listeners get to get to hear about that. Yep. And uh, before we get to our conversation yeah. with Samir, and actually I'm going to s- switch things up on you. Todd, what are we doing? Because we're going to do our Learner's Corner recommended resource, but I actually have one. Uh-oh. Because I know that I said that you can get one. You, we'll get yours the next time. Okay. But That's fine. as we were talking about this, How I rude. literally thought of um, of a resource that I just have to, I have to share because I've talked about it before and I feel like I can never talk enough about this thing. But my, talk about it. my Learner's Corner recommended resource is the emotion wheel. Oh, Lord. Can and we it, call it what it really is? I call it the emotion wheel. It's actually the also, color wheel. Also, sometimes I call it the feelings wheel. It's actually called the color wheel. It is not called the color wheel. It is wheel. called, the, I call it the color wheel. But basically, my it, interpretation I is correct. It's, I think it's appropriate for what um, for what we're talking about today because it, it really deals with the mental and the emotional side yep. of things of, of helping identify your emotions because in the center of it, it kind of has like the primary emotions that, that most people would think of that everybody has. And then as, as it expands out and um, this is a visual thing. And so we'll have it in, uh, in the show notes and you can print out your own copy. Time where you got well. it. Um, off the internet. Clay, I mean, Clay Scroggins at the orange conference referenced it. Yeah. That's what I was um, talking about. And so, um, and so I just highly recommend it. It's helped me become not only a better leader, but just, just a better person, a better human, a better friend, um, as well. Yeah. So he talks about it a lot. He does. And so that, <laughs> I just realized what I did there. Okay. We're going to leave that in. We're leaving that in <laughs> and we're just going to go into the podcast episode. Yep. So here's our conversation with Samir. Well, Samir, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you, Caleb, for having me. I'm delighted to be here, too. You know, just as, as we get started, and we want to talk with you about um, some of the books and the 5 a.m. club and all of that stuff that, uh, that you've created, but just as we were on your website in preparing, 
we saw this statement about this story that happened to you. And it says that, uh, that your wife walked out on you and took your daughter with her. And can, can you just elaborate on like, like how did it get to that place? And like, what, what were you feeling during that time? And what, what happened after that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I dated my wife for six years before we got married and we were nine years into our marriage. Uh, one fine day she said she's going to her parents' home uh, to celebrate her father's 70th birthday. And the next day I called her up and she didn't answer my phone and I called her again and I called her again and she didn't answer my phone. And the following day she called me back and she said, uh, hi Samir, you've been to call me? And I said, yes. Um, she said, I've called to tell you just one thing. And I was like, yeah, go on, please. And she said, I'm done with you. I was like, sorry? She said, I'm done with you. I was like, what do you mean by that? She said, I'm done. I'm not coming back home. And I said, why, why are you doing something so drastic? And she said, the very fact that you even asked me that question tells me that I'm doing the right thing. And she hung up. So, and I can go very deep in this story. I don't want to bore your audience right now. But the point being, what happened? Your question is what happened. And what happened was blindness, which is what happens to most of us in our lives. I was so engrossed with my life, with my work, that I thought, I thought I was taking care of my family. I was taking care of my family in a manner that was convenient for me. I was not taking care of what they cared for. Now, there's a big distinction in me taking care of them in a manner that's convenient for me and me taking care of what they care for. I wasn't doing that. And, and thank God my wife did what she did. It was, it was a nice little, you know, jolt that I needed in that relationship today. She's back 20 months later. Uh, we, we've, we've given birth to twins and life couldn't be better anymore. I mean, it's just phenomenal right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, what, what have you put in place to help, to help you get to a place to where you, that you, that you understand and know the state of your, you know, of your, of your wife and even of your kids as well to, to avoid that happening again? Um, you know, it's all about where I put my attention. I may not be spending significantly more time with them, yet the time that I'm spending with them is significantly more quality time. For example, as a family, we don't have a TV at home anymore. We, we don't watch cable TV anymore. We, we, we've got quality breakfast time. We've got quality lunch time. Uh, on weekends, quality dinner time every day. We've got our weekends together. So the time that we spend together now is really high quality, really, really high quality. And my attention is on what does my wife care for? And am I taking care of what she cares for? Rather than this is how I'd like things to be and I'm gonna take care of my needs. So the shift has been on where I'm putting my attention. And I'm putting my attention on what her cares are and what do my kids care for? So I experience personally that I'm taking great care of their cares right now. And they say that in so many words. My wife has said to me, Samir, our relationship hasn't been so good ever as it is now. So, so it's just the, the ability to put your attention in a place that matters. Mm -hmm. And then did you just discover what they cared through through asking questions or what, what did that look like? Uh, 
both. First of all, just being present, being mm -hmm. fully open and being connected to them, right? Uh, and, and wherever I'm not fully clear, ask them a question, right? So the, the relationship is open. The relationship is, if there's something that I'm, I feel there's an incompletion, I'm not waiting for that incompletion to become a big mountain. I'm going and having a chat with her. She's talking to me. The day there's an incompletion, there's something that's not working, we talk it immediately. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's the shift. Yeah. So is that, is that how you, in a sense, won your wife back or how did that happen? Well, winning my wife back was, uh, is a long story. Uh, uh, I had to let go of a lot of my uh, historic assessments. I had to let go of a lot of my I am right posture. In a lot of places, I had assessments of my own and I had I am right and my wife is wrong. Uh, I had to drop I am right and she's wrong and really begin by seeing her perspective. Now, it's easier said than done. It's easy to say, you know, put myself in her shoes. But in action, in practice, you know, it, it took some effort. So, and the biggest piece was to becoming aware of my blindness around how much of I know I am right, you don't know you are wrong at a subtle level that was operating with me. Mm -hmm. So another thing uh, that you've started, and I think it, I think it came out of uh, part of that time was uh, the 5 a.m. club as well that you've started. Would you, mind, would you mind talking about that idea? Because I think it's a really interesting and fascinating idea that, that many people in our audience would probably resonate with. Yeah, so my wife had walked out on me. My London company, I ran two uh, very successful colleges in London. My London company had just gone bust a few months ago. This was in 2011, my London company went bust. October 11 is when my companies in London went bust. Uh, September 11 is when my wife walked out, just five weeks earlier than that. And in March 2012, uh, three of us friends met and we invited four other people and we created, and I, I use the word we created, the 5 a.m. club in conversation, right? There's no physical club. We, we spoke about it and we created the 5 a.m. club. Uh, the 5 a.m. club was uh, uh, extremely powerful. We ran it for two years, first year and then the second year. It was a very powerful structure that we had, seven of us had. And what was powerful about it was the fact that it was a daily structure every single day at five o'clock in the morning. That structure began with two things. One, we identified what really mattered to us, each one of us. So all seven of us declared what really mattered to us. What are the different domains that matter to us? In each domain that mattered to us, we declared one year from now, where will we be in that domain of our care? So for example, one year from now, my wife today doesn't live with me. One year from now, my wife will be back. Why? Because I say so. That's a domain of my care because I'm ready to stand inside of that commitment that I will do what it takes to bring her back home. So in each domain, we made these commitments. We stood inside of making that commitment happen. Uh, so what worked was the structure, the daily practice every single day. What we did every day in the call was just two minutes per person. Each one of us spoke only for two minutes. 
if this is where I want to be one year from now, we've identified that place we want to be one year from now, what do I have to achieve today? What will I achieve today in my day? Not what will I do today in my day? What will I achieve in my day today? It's very challenging to, to talk about what I will do is easier. To talk about what I will achieve today is, is challenging. And yeah, the talk, second thing, talk, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, before you move on to the second thing, can you talk a little bit more about, or say a little bit more about the difference between achievement and, and doing and clarify that a little bit more? Yes, yes. For example, I will, I will, um, I will talk to three people. Is one, is the doing mess. I will ensure the three people have committed to this outcome. Because why am I talking to them? So that I can buy in their commitment. So I, the objective of every conversation, there's a certain objective, so I'm gonna get that done. Right? I may have to use path A or path B or path C, but I'm gonna achieve the outcome rather than commit on the path. Okay. So, so, and you know, three out of seven days, four out of seven days, we did not achieve the outcome but it built in a practice of thinking outcomes, right? And mm -hmm. we, we, we built muscle on failure there. We, we built great muscle on managing failure every single day. It sounds almost, almost kind of like mind modeling. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but how, how we, when, we, when you change the perspective from a, I have a set list of things that I need to do to, to do, to, hey, no, these are the things that we're gonna, here's the, here's the, with the doing it with the end in mind. It's much, it's, it actually becomes much easier. Um, there's also there's psychological uh, studies that they've done that have tested. So that's, I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so I haven't heard of mind modeling, but what you're saying is what we were doing uh, just intuitively. Mm -hmm. So then can you talk about that second component of the 5 a.m. club? So yeah, see the first thing is the structure. The second thing is the, uh, um, the fact that there was a daily practice uh, and in the daily practice there were two things we spoke every day in the call one was what will we achieve today and the second was who am i you know we are as human beings linguistic beings we are generative beings we are creating ourselves you know we are creating i'm shy i'm not good enough uh, i cannot do this so there's a lot of creation that takes place subconsciously as we speak we in that call every day created who we are. Who's going to go to work today, right? So th there's one of my friends who was in the 5 a.m. club. He once famously said, I'm a force of nature. And we, I remember we're so inspired by that declaration. You know who I am? I'm a force of nature. And here's a guy who was an alcoholic at the age of 13. And, and at 32, 33, the guy was a mess. And he came into the 5M club, he said, I am a force of nature. I don't, this moment in time, my history will not define me. My context for my future is, I am a force of nature. Who's gonna to go to work today? A force of nature is gonna to go, go to work today. Not the history that I'm an alcoholic is gonna to go to work today. We recognize the power of these declarations. And we did this day in and day out. So today, my context is, I, I choose who I am. I create, when I go home, the best dad in the world is going to go home. When I come to work, an extremely effective manager is going to come to work. So, and that's my context when I get to wherever I get. Because the practice of two years has been extremely rich. 
the 5 a.m. club enabled us to build that practice. Mm -hmm. So, so the 5 a.m. club has has expanded to more than you and just your friends uh, now. And I'm just wondering what what have you seen have been um, the mistakes that people make whenever it comes to trying to implement the 5 a.m. club. What are the common things that you say that most people um, trip up over these things? So first of all, there are about 20, 25 5 a.m. clubs happening right now uh, in different parts of this country, some outside as well. These are people who just sort of on their own started out. There's a constitutive document that I used to have on my website. I'm not sure if it's still there. Maybe I should put it up. Uh, the, the one big mistake people make is, see, it sounds sexy, right? The 5 a.m. club and all of that, right? But the rigor, the discipline required to have a daily practice it requires commitment. Um, a lot of people love the idea, aren't committed to the idea. So loving an idea is one thing, being committed to what's going to take to make that club a success, what's going to make it a success for you is that deep embodied commitment to taking care of what you really, really care for. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you want to really understand that, you know what, A, I care for these things and I want to take care of these things and I want to expand my cares. I want to expand myself by taking care of my expanded cares. And there's a deep embodied commitment required, which many times I don't see, and which is why 5M clubs don't work sometimes. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there something specific? Because I could see someone going, do I, do I have to do it at 5AM? Have you seen something special about it happening at 5AM? Or is it more of the practice of just redoing at the same time, day after day? Uh, thanks for asking me that, Caleb. So these 2025 5 a.m. clubs that are happening, they're not at 5 a.m. necessarily. They could be 7.30 p.m. too. So it's not about the hour. It's about the practice of having a structure. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't need to be at 5. We chose to do it at 5 because each one of us got two extra hours a day in our working day. And that mm -hmm. helped us add new cares that really mattered to us. And the story we told ourselves was we don't have time to take care of those cares. So we wanted to add extra hours in our day. So we added 10 extra hours just by virtue of, uh, uh, you know, starting our days at five o'clock. Now you could have a 5 a.m. club at 7 a.m. for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next thing I want to ask you about, and I think this ties into what you were talking about with, um, with the declarative statements uh, as well, is you have this process uh, for declaring a breakdown. Would you, would you be able to kind of walk through us through that process with us and what that looks like? Absolutely. Declaring Breakdowns is my first book. And, and uh, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Declaring Breakdowns before I go into the process. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Just yeah. so that your audience understands, you know, where we're coming from. So, you know, what does the book say, right? First of all, it says that each one of us is in a certain flow of life. There's a certain flow as far as my career is concerned, for example, or my health is concerned, or money is concerned, or relationships are concerned. There's a certain flow of life I am in. For example, there was a flow of life I was in, in my relationship with my wife, and I was blind to that flow. I was unaware to that flow, which is what led to her walking out on me. Right? There's a certain flow I was in for nine years in that relationship, and then she eventually walked out. So the, each one of us is in a certain flow and we are blind, we are unaware of the flow we are in. So declaring breakdown says, first of all, become aware of the flow you are in. If this flow continued, 
where are you headed five minutes from now in a conversation one day from now one month one year 10 years from now where will this flow take you that place it takes you is called the default future the default future is a future that you're going to end up in if you continue in this flow and we are blind about the flow and we are blind about the de default future so it says hang on open your eyes what's your default future does this default future work for you if it works for you continue the flow if it doesn't work for you declare a break in that flow of life right and shift your game so that's the fundamental premise organizations can declare breakdowns teams declare breakdowns individuals declare breakdowns nations can declare breakdowns all you are doing is declaring a break in the current flow of life we are in that's what the whole concept is what's the six steps your question hey, real real quick before we get into the steps um one thing i want to ask you about because i feel like it's it's come up a few times is is the blindness whether it be organizationally or a team or even a personal blindness and sometimes it just seems to come out of nowhere um and like like what 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 happened with your wife um and even in organizations whether it be um, a financial crisis or something along those lines um but how have you found any techniques or um skills that have helped you proactively discover blindness on the front end um before something bad happens lots as a matter of matter of fact all the work that i do right now is focused on distinguishing blindnesses let's say in domains of personal leadership in domains of teams in domains of what do the teams stand for what are the standards of the teams in domains of strategy in domains of power in domains of politics i mean all the work i do is to enable organizations to distinguish blindnesses in that domain and it's just incredible the number of domains uh, each one of us as an individual as a team as an organization in relationships that we have and each of those distinctions enable us to become aware of a blindness mm -hmm. have i answered you, your question yeah would you be able to give uh, maybe one or two strategies that you've learned that can help people discover personal blindness and then one or two for maybe an organization or a team as well Let me talk about team first because that's what comes into my head right now while you are asking yeah. questions. Then I'll talk about personal. What is a team? So first, you know, when when I go to teams and I ask them what's a team, and what's the difference between a team and a group of people hanging out together, and um, you know, you get a blank look. And the answer to that question is a team is a group of people with a promise. Now, what's the promise of your team? Eight out of ten teams, eight point five out of ten teams that I talk to, Caleb, don't have a team promise. Or if they have a team promise, the team does not know of the promise. Only the team leader knows of the promise, right? So if if the team member does not know of the promise, what is he there to achieve? It's like saying I sit in my car uh, in the morning to go to work, and I don't know where I'm going. where am i headed as a team and it and i'm saying out of research out of interacting with lots and lots at least 3000 people 80 to 85% times i see teams not knowing their promises and often not even having a promise right so just one small example of teams let's talk about individual blindness right i was talking to somebody yesterday 
uh, and and he said, "I'm going to I'm going to deal with these tough questions uh, every week." And I said, "Do you see that you've just created these questions are tough questions? You just created these questions as tough. You've just set up a context for these questions that they are tough. They are not tough questions in and by themselves." You just created these questions as tough questions. Now, when you go to deal with these questions, the context is these are tough questions. Your predisposition to tough questions is let's postpone them. So you are blind to the fact that you've just created these as tough questions. These are not tough questions. These are just some questions. And you are blind to the fact that you're making these assessments all the time. All the time. This is a tough meeting. I'm not good enough. You know, this guy is not good. I can't do this. I'm, you know, this is not possible. All of these are blindnesses of ours because we are creating all of these things and we are unaware that we are creating all of this. Am I making sense to you, Caleb? Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm following. Yeah. Great. Well, would you mind going through kind of the process then or the steps of declaring a breakdown? Yeah, with pleasure. So it's a six step process. Step number one, declare a break. Once you become aware of the flow, declare a break, say, this is not working for me. This flow doesn't work for me. Declare a break. I'm in the wrong flow. I don't want to go there. I'm going to declare a break. What does declaring a break mean? Declaring a break means I am committed to my future. It's just saying I am not. Simply put, declaring a break is saying I am committed to design rather than drift. And I'm going to choose my path rather than allow drift to take over. So the first step is declare a breakdown. There are obviously lots of nuances. I'm not going into the nuances, but first step, declare a breakdown. Second step, become aware to what is so right now. What are the facts of where you are right now? And in the book, I distinguish between what are the facts right now and how I create all my interpretations and jumble all this up. So for example, Let's say an organization says, we are in a challenging situation. What does that mean? What are the facts that make you assess that this is a challenging situation? Maybe it's not a challenging situation. Maybe you just are creating this nice little sexy thing called we are in a challenging situation. What are the facts? The ability to separate facts from our assessments is a skill I haven't seen many people have. So declare a break. Separate out what are the facts of the situation right now? What are the facts? Once you know the facts, then you see if no action is taken, no new action is taken, what's my default future? If I continue on this path, what's my default future? If that default future doesn't work for me, I design a new future. Step number three, uh, step number four, design a new future. So step number one, declare a breakdown. Step number two, become aware of the facts. What is so? Step number three, step number four, create a new future. How do you create a new future? By just saying it out, by having and saying, I want to be here one year from now, one day from now, five years from now. Why? It's my freaking life. I decide. I choose. That's, uh, that's where I want to go. That's it. That's why. Create a new future. This is where I am. This is where I want to go. There's something missing. What's the missing actions? Identify the missing actions. Step five, step, step six, take the missing actions. Mm -hmm. That's the six step process. Yeah, where, where do you see that most people struggle in that process? 
Um, each of these processes are very simple. Each of these processes are not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. They're simple when you read about them. They are, they are skills that you got to build in practice. So they're very simple to understand. You need to build a skill to declare a breakdown. It's a skill to separate facts from stories. It's a skill to become aware of my default future. It's a skill to create a new future. It's a skill to identify missing actions. So as, as simple as I'm making it sound, these are embodied skills uh, that, that, that take time. They're not happening because you've read my book. You know, as a matter of fact, I tell people don't bother reading my book because by reading my book, I'm building arrogance. Please do the practices. It's in the practices that you build skill. So people struggle if they think by reading the book, they're going to make it work. It's, it's deep embodied skills. Mm-hmm. What, uh, and is it just as simple as practicing it or is there some, or what would you say? The knowledge is in the book, mm-hmm. right? It could be as simple as practicing. You could get yourself a coach for added support. Uh, there are people out there who've read the book and done the practices and generated the results. Mm-hmm. There are people that, that have reached out to me, thanking me because they've generated results out there due to the practices and actions they've taken. So is it as simple as that? To an extent, yes. Some people need additional support and, and they've done some you know, great, great results because of the additional support as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, something I want to uh, go back to and um, I just want to get your opinion on is because it, sound, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is being mentally strong as well. I mean, there, there, is, there is the, uh, the practical, you know, you do need to, pr- you need to put in the practice and stuff like that. But even what you were talking about um, earlier with, with, cho- with choosing your identity and choosing to believe that I, that identity, have you discovered um, or what habits have you done to build that mental strength or that mental resilience? You know, uh, Caleb, one perspective of who I am that I offer right now to you and to the audiences is I am uh, my practice. Mm-hmm. You know, the way I speak, the way I think, the way I sit, the way I talk in meetings, the way I listen in meetings, I am my practice. I am in a certain practice, in a certain habit all the time, in a certain sense. Right? I'm my practices. My practices, so while I'm talking to you, you see my hand move like this. So there's, that's a practice, right? Now, there's a set of practices. Now, if I want to have a different result, I have... I will get the same results if I, my practices continue the way they are. And there are different studies that say anywhere between 70 to 85% of what you do is habitual. Different, different studies say different, different things, but between 70 to 85% of every day of yours is habitual, which is meaning you are blind to all of those practices of yours. They've become habitual now, right? Now, if you want to shift your results dramatically, you've got to shift your practices dramatically. So if you're really committed to taking care of what you care about, then you want to become aware of your practices and consciously bring in a new practice one at a time. Don't have to bring in a hundred practices at a time. Take one practice, practice it for a few weeks. And these are what we call keystone practices. You do one practice. Let's take an example of yoga, for example. It's not, it's not the practice that I would give people. It's a good example. Yoga, 
I want to do yoga seven to eight every morning, for example, which means I'm going to bring in the practice of waking up early. If I had a practice of waking up later than eight, seven o'clock, means I'm going to eat right, means I'm going to sleep well early. So because of one practice, the three or four other practices that automatically get generated. So you identify these keystone practices. The book, Declaring Breakdowns, has keystone practices. You do those, you will observe certain other practices are automatically shifted. Right? You shift your practices. You observe what you're creating right now. I'm creating my office socks. I'm creating my job socks. Oh, that's an interesting creation. When you create my office socks, what do you generate in your office? I'm sure it's not, it's not cool. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are practices that you've got to engage in. Yeah. And so um, the, the other book that you've written is Become as well. Would you mind talking a little bit about that and why you decided to write that book? Um, so I actually began writing a book called Coach, C-O-A-C-H. Become was a title that was given to it much later. Uh, I began writing a book called The Five Critical Leadership Conversations. And the leadership conversations that I identified were C-O-A-C-H, Coach. The acronym for the five conversations was Coach. Uh, the first C stood for care. And I'm saying that's the key missing conversation in organizations. Human beings are beings of care. When our cares are taken care of, we are alive. There's satisfaction, there's meaning, there's joy in our life. When our cares aren't taken care of, there's no joy, value, meaning in our life. And as a, as a leader, I need to have conversations with my teams, with my customers that take care of their cares. So there's a whole conversation, rich, deep conversation around the domain of care. The second one is the conversation on observe. Oh, the way I see determines what I do. What I do determines what I have. People are blind to how they see. There's too much focus on action, but my action comes from the way I see. And the way I see is a coaching conversation. Leaders need to have that conversation. That's the observe conversation. Then we bring out the third conversation called action. What does action mean? What's the difference between action and activity? Activity is meaningless. Action is that which I do, which takes care. Everything that I do that takes care is action. Everything that I do that does not take care is meaningless activity. So there's a whole uh, matrix that I bring out there uh, in the action piece. C is commitment, the power and the importance of commitment, and which is what I was speaking to you earlier about uh, at the 5 a.m. club. And these are the first key four conversations. H is holding space. It's not a fifth conversation, but it's a bucket inside of which all of these four conversations happen. So you've got to hold space when you're having the care, the observe, the action, and the commitment conversations. Mm -hmm. which, which one do you see most organizations or people not having? A care conversation is often missing. Yeah, why do you think that is? Oh, we are disconnected. I mean, there are studies that say, uh, 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 what's that agency? Uh, Gallup. Gallup says that 70% uh, um, of people at work are, uh, there are only 30% people at, at work in corporate America that are engaged. Uh, fascinating. Only 30% people are engaged. 30% uh, are, 40% uh, are disengaged and 30% are actively disengaged. Why? Because they're not taking care of their cares. The, the fact that I'm being disengaged is because what I'm doing right now does not take care of my care. 
no wonder I'm disengaged. Right? And, and, and Gallup also says that's the study for America. Outside of America, the numbers are significantly lower. And I have seen that with my, with my own experience. I've gone and worked with some very large global organizations. It's not untrue at all. How do, you, how, how do you begin to, to some organizations, something like that is just, that, that seems like fluff and flutter. And why, would, why do we need to, to necessarily work, care about that? What would you advise a company who that's the part, of, the, that's the part of, of your structure that they're missing? How would you begin to help them to integrate that into their, into their fabric? of their organization so let me answer this question in two different ways first of all the very fact that the company says this is fluff that's the interpretation they create because they have that interpretation they don't have the conversations so their actions are devoid of those conversations and hence their results are what they are so i'm going to say look at your results right first of all you have a context this is fluff you are blind that this is your context this context gives you the actions you have, and hence you have the results that you have in your company. The very fact you called me to talk to you is because you need help right now, right? Number one. Number two, everything that I do is for the sake of something, right? It's for the sake of what? That for the sake of what I'm doing, does that matter to me? If it doesn't matter to me, why am I doing it? When you connect to the for the sake of what, you bring power and energy in the doingness. It's the for the sake of what am I doing what I'm doing? Does that have meaning for me? Yes. It's the foundational conversational. The problem in the corporate world that we live in is the assessment this is fluff. And I'm saying it's a foundational conversation. This is not discretionary. It's a foundational conversation. If we are not gonna take care of what we care about, can I operate without taking care of my shareholders? I have to take care of their care. Can I operate without taking care of the care of my customers? Any sales conversation will tell you, talk to the care of the customer. Talk to the care of the customer. Okay, beautiful. Can I operate without taking care of the care of the employees? I think we've got to open our eyes to that. It's a mix of all of this. Mm -hmm. So let's say that uh, someone in either middle management or someone who's lower in the organization is listening to this right now and they're going, I completely agree. We need to start having these conversations, but I feel like I'm not in a place in the organization to where it can start to happen. What advice would you give to that person? Um, first of all, first of all, break that assessment. You are not the person who had that conversation because you make that assessment. You don't do anything about it. And the result is you have the same result. So the first step is break that assessment that I can't have that conversation. First step is you become aware of what you care about. First question I'm asking you is what you care about. Do you even know what you care about? Second question that I'm asking you is, are you taking care of what you care about? And the third question I'm asking you, and I ask you this very respectfully, if you are not taking care of what you care about, what are you doing? Passing time? <laughs> so first question for you, don't worry about the organization and the team. Let's build personal, physical, personal leadership muscle before we go out and talk to other people. Are you taking care of your cares first before I expand to start to support my team to take care of their care? 
you will find the muscle. But first learn it with yourself rather than make an assessment. Sorry, I'm too junior in the hierarchy. You want to bust that assessment first. That's good. Uh, another thing I want to ask you about um, is you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a myth that, uh, that all of your coworkers are your coaches. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So first of all, uh, you know, my, my worldview is that uh, coaching is a set of conversations. It's not necessarily a profession. It's a set of conversations, right? Uh, what sort of conversations are coaching conversations? So in the coaching world, it's widely known that a coach is a mirror, right? What does a mirror do? A mirror shows you what you cannot see on your own. A conversation with my coachee or with my reportee or with somebody who is my peer or my manager or anybody, any conversation that discloses my blindness, I call that a coaching conversation, right? Any conversation that discloses a person's blindness in my assessment is, I, I tag that. I call that a coaching conversation. It doesn't matter who's having the conversation with whom. A reporter could have it with a manager uh, and a peer could have it with a peer. Uh, as long as it's a conversation that discloses blindness, I tag that as a coaching conversation. You're showing me something that matters to me and you're showing me that I'm not taking care of that. That's a coaching conversation. So, what? Well, I was going to say, do you have any uh, like regular questions that you ask people to discover your blind spots? The book Become has a whole, every chapter has a set of questions, by the way. So that mm -hmm. people build muscle, which is what I say, don't read my book if you're not ready to do the work. Mm -hmm. But if you read the book and you look at the chapters, every chapter has a set of at least common questions that you could ask, first yourself, then the others. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of those in different mm -hmm. domains. I was going to say, would you be able to give just one or two of those questions to get someone started? What do I care about, for example? Uh, in the domain of care, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what does my team care about? What does my organization care about? What does my customer care about? Am I taking care of that care, for example? What, what assessment am I living in right now? Am I living in the assessment right now that um, I'm too junior in the hierarchy to do this work? So all of these are questions that open up blindnesses. Well, Samir, before uh, we let you go, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? Um, Caleb, I have built a practice over the last eight, nine years of actively creating new practices, plus one at one time. The idea is not to bite off too much. The idea is to take one practice and, and engage with that practice and you know be in wonder with that practice and then uh, allow and see what emerges so so um, uh, what am i doing right now in all domains of my life playing with some new practice that's what's helping me personally and in my in my work interestingly the the distinction between person and work is there is no distinction it's just this one nice little thing there it's my life yeah <laughs> What, would, what advice would you give to someone who is eager to learn? Um, I ran a business school for 
20 years and I ran four colleges in India and two in the UK. Uh, my programs were of, of a top British university, by the way. And I thought learning was all about gaining knowledge. Uh, and, and what a blind spot. Right? 20 years uh, working with top academics of the world, uh, uh, British, top British university. And, and the blind spot is learning is about gaining knowledge. I am saying, you know, how unaware was I? For me, now I recognize learning is all about embodiment. It's all about practice. Can I learn to cycle without cycling by reading a book? Can I learn uh, ballet, for example, by re reading a book? Can I learn leadership by reading a book? Can I learn negotiation by reading a book? No. You've got to read, gain knowledge, get into action. So anything that you do, if you're not going to back it up with practice, you're building arrogance. Knowledge without practice is arrogance. Knowledge with practice is skill. So if you want to learn anything, then you've got to back it up with practice so, it, so that you get skilled in it, right? Otherwise, you're just gaining knowledge, you're becoming intellectual, you don't have the skill to generate results. So that's what I would invite everybody. Don't read too many books, but whatever you read, embody that. That's, the, that's what is important. I love that. What's a skill or a mindset or a practice that we, like what we've been talking about? If you, if you could have somebody learn one thing, what would the thing be? Becoming aware. Uh, it's a very deep question. If my answer, I'm going to take you. Let's see if this works, right? Becoming aware of where my attention is right now. If I, if I took care of that, I've taken care of everything. Becoming aware of where my attention is right now. Is my attention on my incapabilities? Is my attention on how not good I am? Is my attention on all the impossibilities of this world? Then I'm getting disempowered. If I manage my attention effectively, I'm going to learn to win the game. If that's just one practice, I'm answering this thought because your question was one practice and that's the yeah, one. No, I, no, that was, no, I think that was, that was perfect. And I think that especially in our age today, um, with as many distractions as there are in the world, I think that's an appropriate one. Okay, great. And then our last question is, what are you learning right now? <laughs> um, um, I have um, two, three things. There's a spiritual text, uh, uh, perhaps the best philosophical text ever written. It's called the Bhagavad Gita, if you've ever read of it or heard of it or known of it. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, sometimes considered religious, but it's, it's actually a very powerful spiritual philosophical text. Uh, I read it in college. Our, sorry? I read it in college. Beautiful. So a lot of our leadership discourse, the genesis of that is in the Bhagavad Gita. A lot of our spirituality, the genesis of that, the core of that comes from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and, and I am deep diving into it. It's reading it slowly, generating new practices one by one by one. I am not in a hurry to complete five books every month. I, 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 I'm just going deep, very deep in that one book. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying every moment when I'm reading that book and in the practice of that work, number one. Number two, uh, my third public, uh, published uh, authorship is a book called the Irrefutable Law of Responsibility. 
So there's a lot of research that I'm doing in that. There's a lot of uh, observing. There's a lot of work with companies. So I'm going very deep in that subject. And there's a subject called value and waste. Observing value in teams, observing waste in teams, observing value and waste in organizations. And the more I put my attention on value and waste, the more completely baffled I am with the amount of waste I see in organizations and teams right now. So that's catching my interest and I, and I perhaps will write on it someday, but that's where my interest is. That's what I'm learning deeply. Right okay, you got me really intrigued by that, uh, by that last thing of value and waste in teams. Uh, can you just give us what, what would be one way that you see team like that value is being added in teams and then one or two ways that that you see waste commonly happen in teams. So I'm going to be brief. First of all, if you're going to talk about value and waste, we need to know what value means. What does value mean and what's waste value is that which takes care. Anything that takes care of the organization's care is valuable. Anything that doesn't take care of the organization's care is not valuable. That's waste. So what's value? That which takes care is of value. That which does not take care is of waste. Can you see care is a fundamental conversation? Even if, if we start talking about you know, leadership distinctions, which are at, at the strategic level, the fundamental will be the care conversation. And you, I mean, someday we should hopefully go into all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. So that which takes care of the organization's care is value. That which does not is waste. Go into any organization, they are blind to what they care for. Their conversations, you sit in a meeting of two hours, you'll see there's 80% of wastage. Right? And it's just, it's blatant. And it's not bad guys. Good guys in blindness, in best interest, are creating wastage and they are fully unaware of it. Mm -hmm. Well, Samir, I know that people are going to want to continue to learn from you and find your books. Where's the best place for them to go to do those things? Amazon's a good place. Awesome. Great. Well, we've appreciated you having on the Learner's Corner. Um, thanks for investing in us. Thanks for investing in uh, our listeners as well. It's been a pleasure, Caleb and Todd. Thank you for having me here. Caleb, Jay, Mason. That was a really fun interview. Um, I know that, that you're the emotional guy here. So I am. I'm very in touch with my feelings. You really are in touch with your feelings. And so I want you to give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think for me, it's just, the, just making it a priority because it's so easy to think about productivity and getting things done and not ta not taking the time to pay attention to to our mental state to to our thoughts to to the things that are coming and even even in our self talk as well and you know i think for me you know i'm i mean you know this i'm a very driven person as well and like i i lean hard into the like get things done type of category and the just the mental shift that i've had to make is that working taking the time to to deal with and to process my emotions will actually help me be more productive. Yep. Because if I don't deal with them, then it's almost like I'm operating on like 60% of my battery or 70% of my battery. Um, but if I'm willing to, to take the time and, you know, spend 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, working through my emotions, you know, ultimately in the long run, it will help me be more productive. It'll help me be um, that end like the good benefit is it just helps me be more emotionally healthy too yeah i'm with you i think that's cool yep well hey everybody we have a couple things for you to know 
one of them is that we have a Facebook group, don't we? We do. Yep, we have a Facebook group. And so you can go into our show notes and uh, and join the group or ask to join the group. And in that group, we're going to have um, bunches of different resources, stuff that we've created. And also, we just want to learn from you as well and just know, hey, what are some of the books, the podcasts, the music, the movies, the things that you're learning about? What would you like to learn about? All of those different things as well. So you can check that out in our show notes. And the other thing is, hey, if we've been, if we've been bringing you value, one of the things that you can do that would be wonderful is if you would leave us a rating and write a review, it doesn't take you very long to do that, probably less than two minutes. And um, it's a way that we can get feedback for the show. It's a way that you can let us know how we're doing and anything that you would like for us to do in the future. And also, the way that the ratings work is when you give us a five-star review, because, I mean, you're not going to give us anything else other than a five-star review. I mean, because Caleb's that awesome. But um, when you do that, it actually helps us in the rankings and the ratings of iTunes. And so it helps where we're positioned at in their directories. And so if you would do that, that would be amazing really would appreciate it a ton yep and so also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast as todd mentioned and you won't miss it's free our next episode to where we'll be talking with kathy kong and Are we really yes and so we talk with her about dealing with with insecurity and learning to find your voice as well and so subscribe to the podcast and you definitely won't miss whenever our next episode drops just don't ever miss also subscribe to us on twitter instagram all the places caleb talked about the facebook group already yeah actually follow us don't subscribe or whatever do that too it is the place where you're going to be able to go to get information probably the quickest yeah i would say it's probably the quickest way so if you have enjoyed this episode like we said rate review subscribe Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It is Todd Ball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.